In a world where chronic DVD and... Please stand by. In three, two, one. This is Colin. He has a problem. He has a lot of DVDs and some of them he hasn't seen. So he's gonna grab his son and they're gonna watch each one until the pile is empty. These films are still under wraps, still under wraps. Unwatched, unloved, and still under wraps, still under wraps, still under These films are unwatched, unloved, and still under wraps. Hello and welcome to Still Under Wraps. My name is Colin and with me as always is my fellow film watcher, compadre and son, Thomas. Hi, hello. Who I need to thank from the bottom of my heart for that brilliant, and I, it had me in tears when I heard it for the first time today, brilliant opening, which means that we are now entirely in-house. Yes, except for that, that bit of music in the middle. That, that bit's not in-house. No. All right. Except for that, we are entirely in-house. Yes. Speaking of music, um, before we get any further, because I didn't actually jot this down on the notes, Jeff mentioned in the list of TV shows where the theme music changed partway through that it happened with Lost in Space. Right. The original series. And he asked whether I knew, without looking who composed that piece of music and I didn't respond to it because I thought that I would hold off uh, until this podcast because coincidentally last week's episode we were covering Rio Bravo Mm. and the reason that we had that on the shelf was because it was in a box set with with a film that you wanted and that film was The Cowboys Mm. Now, the soundtrack to The Cowboys was written by a composer by the name of Johnny Williams. Mm. And uh, which I found quite surprising when I watched The Cowboys a number of moons ago. And so I went delving into looking at what other things that he wrote. And so, therefore, vis a vis, join the dots, guess who wrote the soundtrack to the 1960s television comedy science fiction drama Lost in Space. Hans Zimmer. Well done. Absolutely (laughs) correct. Um, With assistance from Johann Strauss. No, it was Johnny Williams. And I say Johnny Williams because he is credited in the credits as Johnny Williams. Right. Yes. So, So I did know that, Jeff. Only because of that rabbit's hole that I dove down when watching the Cowboys and listening to this typically Western-type music, and then John Williams came up in the the credits. I went, huh, he does write things other than things for Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. And Harry Potter for a little bit. Oh, yes, yes, the Harry Potter saga. Okay, so uh, there we go, Jeff. I do confess that I did know the answer to that one. Let's move on. Uh, Just 
I don't even know whether it's necessary now to describe what this podcast is about. I think if you are at all unsure, just wind back to the beginning and listen to the wonderful opening uh, music by the talented uh, Thomas. And uh, that should, I believe, cover what this show is all about. Mm. Uh, Except for the fact that today's movie isn't under wraps. No, it's not. But it is a film that I haven't watched. Well, I've watched the first 15 minutes or so of Mm. it. But that's not really watching a film. No, no. So that's what we're going to watch well, I haven't said what we're... You haven't said. None of us have said what we're watching tonight other than if you've listened to last week's episode. You can tell I'm excited about or, or the opening the music because I'm just all over the place. Um, please, just wind back and listen to that uh, opening music yet again. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. Thomas, what are we watching today? The Omega Man. The Omega Man. There was some debate the on, on the Facebook page. Link is on the show notes uh, as to how to pronounce Omega or Omega or... Yes. And as most of those comments were coming from Jeff, who says Canberra as Canberra and Kookaburra as Kookaburra and Melbourne <laughs> as Melbourne... You know, we we we're going to just call it the Omega Man and just move mm. on. Tell us a little bit about it. Welcome to the future. Biological war has decimated life on Earth. Los Angeles is a windswept ghost town where Robert Neville tours his convertible through sunlit streets, foraging for supplies, and makes damn sure he gets under cover before sundown when other inhabitants emerge. The Omega Man adapts Richard Matheson's novel I Am Legend into a high-impact, high-tension saga of a fate not far removed from reality. Charlton Heston is Neville, fending off attacks by the family, sinister neo-people spawned by the plague. He also becomes a man with a mission after meeting Lisa, played by Rosalind Cash, another uninfected survivor, and guardian of some healthy children representing our species' hope. Yes, so based on a book, mm-hmm. which was I Am Legend, which is also what the movie I Am Legend was based on. And in the cut of last week's podcast, I cut out a section where I am denied about thinking that there was a third movie that I thought was um, based on the same book. And I cut that section out because it was very ummy and ari, and I still was hesitant as to whether I was just talking rubbish or not. Were you talking rubbish? I was not talking rubbish. In fact, um, Lee pointed out in a conversation to me um, earlier in the week, and I'm just, again, running off memory, I think it was Vincent Price was the main protagonist right in the first movie that was based on the book i am legend ah so now now you're risking talking rubbish again i am risking talking rubbish again ah 
No, <laughs> another name yet again, and it was Vincent Price, the last man on earth. Right. Okay, uh-huh. and if you notice on the front cover of the disc case of the Omega Man, uh, what does it say about... The last man alive is not alone. Hmm, which, uh, yes, so the, the theme runs deep, which is interesting considering we just a couple of weeks ago watched... Um, Zed for Zechariah, where mm. someone who thought they were the last person on Earth or suspected turned out, to, turned be out not not, to be. And then not again. Yeah. Look, um, as I said, I've seen a little bit of this film and I don't think I was in the right frame of mind to watch it. I'm not sure whether I am tonight either. It, the cover is not terribly flattering. There seems to be signs of zombie-type creatures. I guess we'll find out. The premise of the show is that, barring a couple of exceptions, we we sort of go into it ready or not. (laughs) Indeed. So, uh, without any further ado, Thomas is going to open the case, even though it's unwrapped. And he's going to pop the disc into the disc player, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Turn to side B. Mongrel. (laughs) So that was the Omega Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That film didn't really go anywhere. It, it started in nowhere. It went. It had a, a meander through nothing and and meaningless, and came right back to to nowhere. And was way out and groovy, man. Mm-hmm. And it was very much a product of its time, I think. Mm. And. The scripting was there any? I, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really harsh with this one. This was just average, very average. There was scripting. There, <laughs> there was there was a screenplay written by John William Corrington and Joyce H. Corrington. The Corringtons got together and they read the book, and then they made a screenplay. Mm. It did have some redeeming features. Sure. The empty streets. Yes. I have never seen empty streets done so well. And and I'm not being facetious. It, it really did feel like an empty city. Mm. And there are certainly films of this genre that... I have not seen that are ostensibly set in empty cities. So I don't have a lot to compare it to, but I, I certainly have seen films where um, you know, the streets are meant to be completely deserted. And this is possibly the most effective that I've seen of, of feeling like that whole city was empty during the day. Mm-hmm. That's that's about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> the helicopter. 
Honestly, if you were... Uh, spoilers. This is a spoiler break, so if you don't want spoilers, then leave before this sound. If you were aware that someone could, in just a moment's notice, suddenly become um, overcome and and lose consciousness or convulse or what have you, mm. would you climb into a helicopter with someone else piloting it? I wouldn't climb into any aircraft with no, someone else piloting No, it. I mean, risky enough in a land vehicle, but... Um, Yes. As soon as the helicopter appeared, I said, this is not going to end well. <laughs> and sure enough, it didn't. I made a couple of notes, just a smattering, because there's there's not really all that much to, no. to talk about, no, there about isn't. this film. Um, one of the musical themes for, I assume, the family that, that ran throughout the film sort of reminded me of the theme from The Prisoner, the, um... The old... The old There British could be very much show. reason for that. There could, could there? There could indeed be. Um, the, one of the first things that I noticed in the opening credits was who the composer of the soundtrack was. It was Ron Grainer. Yep, Ronald okay. Earl Grainer. Yes, I believe If you that know Doctor Who... If you know The Prisoner, if you know Steptoe and Son and Tales of the Unexpected, but Doctor Who was the one that rang strong with me. I was unaware that you'd seen The Prisoner. I've seen bits of it. It's okay. on the internet archive. Yep. It's... Okay. That is why uh, you would have picked that up, is because uh, he was actually an Australian composer but did most mm. of his work in the UK. It's been years since I've seen The Prisoner. So, um, obviously, it's mm. more recent in your mind. Um, what yeah. kept on going through my mind was that there was a certain thematic score section that kept reminding me of what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And it didn't gel well with me. Quite a uh, clash happening. Charlton Heston cannot act... I'm, I'm, okay, if you were to judge Charlton Heston by this film, nah. he cannot act. Nah. Uh, in fact, all of the acting, bar the kid, the kid was actually quite reasonable. The one who was cured, mm. um, a, a reasonable performance, but just the whole concept and the whole family thing and the... Um, quasi-religious undertones. It was just a, a very 70s... Yes. And the vague philosophical question of, uh, are these people and, and are they worth it? Yeah. And um, we had a trip down into a wine cellar and and I think that was supposed to be a suspenseful moment, but, but all I could think of was <laughs> that one Sean McAuliffe sketch with with the rotating room. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, a wine cellar that is supposedly dark that yes. um, is lit up completely by a single candle that isn't flickering mm. shad shadows everywhere. Um, in fact, that was the other thing that suffered yeah. very poorly was uh, the, the scenes that were supposed to be in darkness that weren't. Yeah, for a film with, like, one of the major 
themes is is light. Yes. Falls over. Falls falls over. over. Yes. And man, speaking of of falling over, there there was some real bad editing. What was the story there? How many times were there cuts within uh, a shot? Uh, yes. From the same camera. Yes. Where I'm guessing something had been edited out. Maybe it had been um, censored or something. But th- something. I, I saw shadows pop in. I saw hands pop in. I saw <laughs> flames not there. Flames there a moment later. Um, clothes. Um, wearing a jacket, and then next scene he wasn't wearing a jacket. The continuity was shot to pieces and. But but the number of jump jump cuts with within a shot, yeah, where where something had just been obviously edited out and I, I don't know it was just bizarre. Uh, the only thing I can think of is censorship, and yet there is enough female nudity to suggest that you know uh, that, that oh, I don't know maybe it was that the warped sensibility of what gets censored what doesn't. I, who knows. <laughs> Um, the the uh, the contacts in the eyes of the family weren't weren't great. Oh look, I do feel sorry for anyone who is wearing those mm. things. Though I mean, you watched uh, the boy open his eyes, and one of the contacts sort of got stuck as the eyelid was going up, and mm. then fell down. Uh, so that they were very large contact lenses, and. Um, uh, not like the contact lenses of today, which are, mm. are soft. Um, I have suffered through hard contact lenses, large hard contact lenses, um, and they are very, very uncomfortable. And those appeared to be even larger than than what I had. Um, excruciatingly painful, which explains why m- most of the scenes they're wearing dark glasses mm. <laughs> so that you know <laughs> but, but I, I suspect if we were to delve deeper into the making of that um there would have been lots of complaints regarding those contact lenses um oh yes Awful film. Such an unnecessary film. Ah, look. Which brings us to an interesting point in the story. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Lee, good listener, has actually sent us some audio to um, possibly include in the podcast. And I haven't listened to it. He suggested not listening to it until we've actually... uh, So we're pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the question is, is Lee going to say, yeah, this is rubbish as well, or is he going to say it's uh, a piece de resistance of, um, I don't know. So we get to play this rare jingle. <laughs> yes, which has only been played once before for the mm. same person. Yes. And here it is. Listener Contributions. G'day fellas, it's Lee here, your current What's on the Shelf reigning champion. Just thought I'd drop you a line uh, after hearing that The Omega Man was this week's film. The Omega Man is of course based on one of my all-time favourite books uh, by Richard Matheson and I thought I'd share some of the differences between uh, Omega and the book apart from the title which is I Am Legend. 
So the main difference is really the whole, the family bit. In, in the book, they're actually semi-mindless vampires or vampire-like creatures uh, that have been infected by a plague. So they're not these kind of just albino guys who can't go out at night and have developed some sort of kind of cult thing going on. Uh, they're actually, it's it was it was what influenced the modern day zombie movies. So uh, even though they weren't zombies, but they were kind of like that. There was these mindless kind of vampiric characters who who just kind of wandered the streets and and really hated the main character. Uh, So it was really, yeah, it's this kind of oppressive, interesting kind of story. Uh, Robert Neville himself uh, is actually just a blue-collar guy uh, who's immune for some reason. Uh, during the course of the book, he embarks on this journey of education, educating himself uh, by, read, by raiding the local university, getting himself scientific equipment and stuff like that. It's really, I, I found that fascinating and really enjoyable to read. Uh, he doesn't find a cure and then a bunch of stuff happens that greatly differs from the Omega Man and, of course, I Am Legend, the Will Smith film. Uh, But I won't spoil the book for anyone because it's one of my most recommended books. Not a long book. It's like 150 pages or something like that. I originally read it in one sitting uh, and just can't... I just honestly get get a copy of it. It is really, really good. I'm not a massive fan of the Omega Man and I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I've seen it a couple of times and I've struggled, but your mileage may differ being this, this... your first time. Keep up the great work, gents. I don't know if you do need a new theme song. Uh, I still would like to uh, hear a glam metal version of What's on the Shelf. But thanks very much, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no guarantees on glam metal. <laughs> metal, but uh, timing is wonderful as far as uh, yeah. new theme music because. Um, We've got it in spades. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. Well, I, I'm breathing a big sigh of relief that our yeah. our reaction, as far as the film uh, is concerned, is supported by somebody whose tastes in movies and opinions in movies I do deeply respect. So, mm. uh, thank you, Lee, for for that, and uh, thank you for the recommendation, as far as the book is concerned. I shall, as long as I can find a copy that's written in crayon, I shall be able to read that. <laughs> um, yes. I suffer from Harold's disease. Nice. Yes. Look it up. And on that bombshell, let's move on. Again, thanks, Lee, for that, and um, I'm feeling relieved. I'm, I'm curious to know what I Am Legend is like, and... To strike that off the list of what's on the shelf, it isn't on the shelf, and I haven't seen it. Right. So, yeah. And I uh, haven't either. Okay. So, <laughs> let's move on to... What's on the shelf? You know it's probably DVDs. Okay, and we've had a couple of... Uh, well, we've actually had four added to the the list during the week. Just a clarification for those of you who are unaware of this segment. We ask our dear listener to contribute suggestions as to what movies are on the shelf. There are some restrictions uh, as to what you can suggest, and those are listed on the Facebook page. There is a uh, pinned section where you can make suggestions as to what films you reckon are on the shelf. And Jeff, I think, went gangbusters this week. Yes. Just so that we would mention his name. Mm. Because we didn't mention it enough last week. 
Um, yeah, so we, we've had some additions to the the list, and we thank you for that. Not just Jeff, Lee actually added one as well. So thank you both for for supporting us. We we do appreciate that, and we appreciate all our listeners and all of those who have contributed. Anyway. As it stands, the counter is at 22. 22. Okay. Would you roll the randomizing random randomometer? Powered by random.org. Two. Two. Which is, of course... Lee, who suggests Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle Beyond the Stars. Well... That is a pretty safe bet, as far as I am concerned. Right. I have seen Battle Beyond the Stars. Mm-hmm. And now I'm double-guessing myself. I have put Y on it, haven't you I? You have. I believe that is the one that's basically um, seven, seven Samurai in space. Right. Or the Magnificent Seven in space. Right. Lee is either cursing me or applauding me for that uh, bout of memory. <laughs> which I lack usually. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. Um, Thomas, you seem to uh, not be able to back me up on that memory. No. because why is I, that? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. And that suggests possibly that it's not on the shelf. Would that be the case, Thomas? Well, the, the sheet says no. No. And it, I'm inclined to believe the sheet. <laughs> It is not on the shelf, and I confess that as far as memorable films are concerned, it doesn't rate highly on my memory. So, Lee, you get a a score of one there. No multiplier, because, again, I think it was a fairly safe bet that I've possibly seen it. Again, right. curse my name. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, those films that if you've seen X, Y, and Z, you've probably seen A. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, not that I would class Battle Beyond the Stars as an A film. Right. Um, so, wasn't that a fun little session? Mm. And that reminds us that we now need to move on to our next segment. Shake the phone and pick a film and then we'll watch the film next week. While I'm getting this ready, would you explain this segment, Thomas? Sure. We have an app that we use, it's called My Movies, and it has a feature where you can put DVDs in your collection into smaller sub-collections, and then filter down your list to those collections, and randomly select a film from that list by shaking the phone. And so, that's how we select the films we watch each week. Alright. So, I'm giving the phone a little shake, and then I'm going to hand it over to Thomas, and he's going to give the phone a little shake. Hopefully it's come up with a film, and he's giving... (laughs) I think he gives this look every single time. Is it a part three of a... The 2012 film, Saints and Soldiers 2, Airborne Creed. Okay. So it is number two, but mm. my understanding is that you don't need to have seen Saints and Soldiers, the first movie. Mm. The first movie, 
I bought because it was recommended as as being a well-made, very low-budget war film. And I found that to be the case. Yes, that is on the shelf, so you can strike that off the list. So Saints and Soldiers is on there. There is a bit of a a religious theme to it, soldiers tackling deep religious themes and, and what have you. And, yeah, so would you, sir... Please read the fact that their lives will be changed forever. Sure. Their lives would be changed forever. On August 15, 1944, the 517th Parachute Regimental Combat Team jumped over the south of France. Their mission was to support and protect the Allied troops marching to Berlin. Landing in enemy territory, they fell under immediate attack. In their effort to complete the mission and rendezvous with their unit, the three isolated paratroopers come across a group of French resistance in desperate need. They decide to help liberate some of the captive partisans. Doing so, they risk their lives in an effort to live the airborne creed. So it sounds like they risk their lives. Mm. Yes. Right. So that's what we're in for next week. So hopefully you can join us as we go back into World War II once more. There was one other thing that I wanted to mention just in closing. Okay, so I'd like to mention last week there was a little bit of a competition running. There were two points up for grabs. The requirement was to name two westerns that Thomas would have watched both with the same name, one of which starred Mm. John Wayne. Lee answered that, and of course, it was... True Grit. True Grit, indeed. So, well done. (laughs) I could not remember the answer. I had to be reminded. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And secondly, before finishing up, Jill has disappointed us all severely. We were hoping that Jill would would make it to this recording session with an answer to what film was shown at the drive-in showing of One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing that both Jill and I attended. And, and I take it from the word disappointed that she did not. She did not come up with it. So she does not get uh, any points for it, and I'm now going to reveal the name of the short that was shown prior to One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. It was the 1949 cartoon Goofy Gymnastics. A link will be in the show notes uh, for you to watch. As soon as Jill and any of my other siblings watch it, they will go, of course that was it. Or they will attack me on Sunday and say, no, no, I don't remember that at all. So, <laughs> goofy gymnastics. acceptable conclusions. 1949. Okay. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, we hope that you can join us again next week when we watch Saints and Soldiers 2, Airborne mm. Creed. And until then, we'll catch you next time. Bye.
on August 15, 1944, the 517th Parachute Regimental Combat Team jumped over the south of France. (laughs) (laughs) I think I should start that sentence again. Well, that's that's going in the outtakes. Yeah, good. good. We, we were sort of running a little thin for the outtakes, so um, well done. Well done. Just, just, okay. just take a running jump over it. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I've got, to, I've got to back up a bit. Okay, go. Oh. I'm over. <laughs> okay. <laughs>